SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up uh, in your program this Friday, the 20th of October, we have a conversation with Aboriginal and Tongan artist Mikaisha talking about her latest single, Eternity, a single that's just been released and described as an anthem celebrating culture and the unbreakable bonds of a community. Also on NITV Radio today, we have a conversation, a story, the story of Melissa Andrews Waramaba who has become the first full bachelor degree graduate in her community for nearly four decades, and this thanks to what's become known as the Bush Uni. In the program today, also have a conversation with your Toyota woman, Annie Brickdale, one of nine artists featured in Fired Up, Stories Through Embers and Earth, a Cool Heritage Trust exhibition. Through her artwork, as you hear, Annie Brickdale shares her family's story deeply affected by stolen generations and disconnections. All these stories and more coming to you after our weekly news wrap. Bertrand Tungandami, I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. expects the Rafah border crossing from Egypt into the Gaza Strip to be opened for desperately needed aid deliveries. WHO Chief Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said trucks were loaded and ready to go and the organization was working with Egypt and Palestinian charities to deliver supplies into Gaza as soon as the crossing is opened. Dr. Tedros says he welcomes Israel's announcement that it will not block the entry of water, food and medicines into Gaza from Egypt, but says other items need to be added to the list of essential supplies. Fuel is also needed for hospital generators, ambulances and desalination plants, and we urge Israel to add fuel to the life-saving supplies allowed to enter Gaza. Our trucks are loaded and ready to go. The United Nations Health Agency has five trucks full of supplies in place in Egypt near Gaza, with another 40 tons of supplies expected to arrive there by next week. Among them are medicines for the chronically ill, as well as materials to treat the wounded and other supplies to care for 300,000 people. The Australian government has updated its travel guidance for Lebanon to do not travel as security risks from the Israel-Hamas conflict worsen. 
this change follows an earlier warning on Sunday to reconsider travel to the Middle Eastern country amid the deadliest clashes at Israel's northern border with Lebanon in 17 years. Foreign Minister Penny Wong says her government is seriously concerned for the security situation of Australians in the region. We have today upgraded Australia's travel advice for Lebanon to level four. Do not travel. This means if you are an Australian in Lebanon, you should consider leaving now if it is safe to do so. Commercial departure options remain available, but this may change with little notice during a crisis. And again, I encourage people to monitor the Smart Traveller website for the latest advice. Thousands of Pacific Islanders will be offered a path to Australian life with a government effort to boost regional employment and address shortages given the green light. Immigration Minister Andrew Giles has secured the votes of the Greens to have the Pacific Visa Scheme legislation pass the Senate in exchange for a review that it hopes will reduce discrimination. The review will examine the cost threshold, a mechanism that gives the government the power to reject temporary visa applicants if they have a health condition that will be a significant cost to the Australian community. Greens spokesman Jordan Steele-John says the migration system needs to be fair and inclusive, but currently it's not. You cannot claim to be the ally of disabled people in Australia if you are simultaneously deporting disabled children and their families. That is an ableist position. The Greens Party have called for a $250 million commitment for a National Truth and Justice Commission after Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum result. The proposal to change the constitution was defeated with 60% nationally voting no and 40% voting yes. That's 8 million who voted no and 5.3 million Australians who voted yes. Greens leader Adam Band says the misinformation from no campaigners proved too much to overcome and the important thing now is to avoid wallowing in the result and instead take action. Through a process of truth-telling where people were able to step forward, share their stories, we can all now start to come together and lay the groundwork for lasting First Nations justice and reconciliation in this country. A group of Tamil and Iranian refugee women have arrived at Parliament House after a 640-kilometre walk from Melbourne to highlight the effects of visa uncertainty. There are around 10,000 people who came to Australia more than 10 years ago seeking safety but still have no clear path to permanent residency. The group of women who are all on temporary expired or bridging visas say their home is Australia and the government needs to allow them the ability to contribute to Australian society and see their families again. Piyu Maker Nation is a 19-year-old refugee from Sri Lanka who came to Australia when she was six years old and had to leave her father and brother. She says due to the precarity of her visa, she has been unable to see her family in over 11 years and was forced to watch her father pass away over video call. Last year, he passed away while I was on the video call. I saw him. I saw his heart rate slowly go down and watched him pass away. Just like myself, there's other refugee people out there that have left their mother and father and siblings in Sri Lanka and the Iranian community. We want our permanent visas 
so we can help the community. We can see and we can see and feel that family again after 11 years of waiting in Australia. The opposition National Party has won the New Zealand election, taking enough seats to form a coalition with its allies on the right wing of politics. Incumbent Prime Minister Chris Hipkins of Labour phoned National's leader Chris Luxon to concede defeat. Mr. Luxon thanked national voters and says he wants to get started right away on governing for all New Zealanders. And in all our conversations with you, we heard a description of New Zealand that can be so, so much better than it is. And we know it, and you voted for it, and together we will make this an even better country. Australians have rejected a proposal to enshrine an Indigenous voice to Parliament in the Constitution with a no vote in all six states plus the Northern Territory. The ACT voted in favour of the voice. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has declared he accepts the result. He's made no concrete commitments but has promised to continue to be ambitious. I absolutely respect the decision of the Australian people and the democratic process that has delivered it. When we reflect on everything happening in the world today, we can all give thanks that here in Australia, we make the big decisions peacefully and as equals. There is a new national awareness of these questions. Let us channel that into a new sense of national purpose to find the answers. Meanwhile, opposition leader Peter Dutton says the no result is good for the country. At all times in this debate, uh, I've levelled my criticism at what I consider to have been a bad idea, to divide Australians based on their heritage or the time at which they came to our country. The Coalition, like all Australians, wants to see Indigenous disadvantage addressed. We just disagree on the voice being the solution. And while yes and no voters may hold differences of opinion, These opinions of difference do not diminish our love for our country or our regard for each other. And in cricket, Virat Kohli has smashed a century as India maintained their perfect record in their home World Cup in their fourth consecutive victory with a win against Bangladesh. Kohli ended with an unbeaten 103, hitting a six to reach his 100, sending the crowd wild and securing India's win with 51 balls and seven wickets to spare on Thursday. The only question in the end was whether the great Kohli would reach his 48th ODI 100, which he did with a glorious maximum of a deep mid-wicket, and is now only one behind his compatriot Sachin Tendulkar's world record tally of 49. Indian captain Rohit Chama told official broadcaster Fox Sports that his team could not have one without an excellent fielding display as well. It is something that is in your control. Uh, you try and put as, many, as much as you can uh, when you talk about the effort. And I thought uh, there was no letting down from anyone uh, when, you, when you talk about the effort um, on the field. And that is an ITV Radio's News Wrap of the Week. Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Hey, this is Makesha. To all the mob listening and tuning in today, just sending big love, big strength and stay deadly and stay resilient. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, being a young Aboriginal woman, I was really lucky to have a young Aboriginal and Tongan woman. I was really lucky to have a lot of strong auntie figures or big sister figures in my life. My mum has also been a massive pillar of strength and inspiration in my life. And so every single opportunity that I've been able, that I've been blessed with, every single piece of music that I've written has, has all been a result of the investment that these women in my communities have poured into me. I don't know, I guess now every space that I enter, I feel a responsibility to pay tribute to their contributions to my life and to those women's sacrifices that they've made for me um, throughout my entire my entire life up until now. And so, yeah, I guess it's just a reminder for me of the strength that I come from, but also just me continuously thanking those women for yeah, for their contributions in my life. I know you live between Sydney and New York where you've been studying for the last few years. What are you up to uh, in terms of your studies? I just graduated from my, uh, finished my undergrad in May. That was a massive weight kind of lifted off my shoulders to not be writing essays and doing exams and quizzes all the time. Um, but that whole experience just was, an incredible blessing and kind of in this season after graduating I have just been finding my footing in life and writing music finding producers and songwriters that I like collaborating with um yeah and just working on kind of really getting stuck into my music career and and having it something that can be sustainable for years to come and do you see yourself staying in the United States for the next uh, stage of your career or there are plans to come back home? I think I'll be coming back home. I'm realizing, I've always known it, but I'm realizing more and more how much of a Sydney girl I am. I love New York with all of my heart and I have such a beautiful community there that I've built as well. Um, and I'd love to go back and visit as much as I can. But Sydney, I think Sydney's home for me. Yeah, true Sydney side up. And uh, one of the most iconic uh, radio stations in Sydney is Koori Radio, uh, First Nations uh, Radio that's uh, emblematic, features at every community event. And your father has his own program on this uh, radio station. Can you tell us about the influence of your father on uh, your music career? I often say um, I grew up on every Friday night, I would go into the radio station with him. Um, and he had a hip-hop show, radio show called Island Hopping, where he would basically play island tunes from the Pacific Islands, uh, a bit of reggae, lots of hip-hop and R&B. And so every week I was just literally sitting in the studio watching my, my dad MC, watching him, like, you know, cue the songs up, line them up, playlist them. Um, and so that was the environment that I grew up in. And, of course, at family barbecues we always had music, um, in our house, there was always, you know, a boombox play- playing some kind of music or the TV was on with MTV. Um, but I think one of the most beautiful things about that experience growing up was seeing my mom and my dad coming from different cultural backgrounds and kind of embracing each other's communities and stepping into each other's spaces. And that was kind of what I kind of took for granted growing up and like reflecting on that as a as a young woman now. I'm like, wow, that's really beautiful that my dad was a radio host on Korea Radio and he's a Tongan man, you know, an immigrant into this country. And I just thought that was really, really gorgeous to see. 
So you grew up in a musical environment and uh, you're influenced by R&B and other genres that um, you encountered uh, through your work, your dad's work, listening to Corey Radio and other influences through your studies, but you're carving your own path. How would you describe your music and uh, the path you're carving for yourself? I would just call it a blend of of my life. I I mean, I grew up uh, going to church with my grandma, so a lot of hymns and Tongan uh, church music that I grew up listening to. I grew up listening, obviously watching music videos of Jessica Malboy, Alicia Keys, and Lauren Hill. So a lot of R&B influence um, from the States. And then now as a music student, I'm consuming music of all, all sorts from all places around the world. So I, I don't know if I can pinpoint it, but yeah. it's just a blend. It's an amalgamation of all the music that I've listened to in my life. And these influences shine through your latest single, Eternity. Now, Mikaisha, before I let you go, any parting words? I just want to say, uh, sending my love to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities at the moment. I know that it's been a really intense, exhausting, not only weekend, but past couple of months, years, decades. And so I'm just sending strength and love to all of my mob and my community. Stay strong, stay deadly, stay resilient. Mikaisha, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today. It's been a great pleasure talking to you, especially about your latest release, Eternity. Thank you so much for having me. Time for a break, but uh, stay with us because when we come back, we have the story of a deadly woman who's become the first bachelor graduate in her community in 40 years. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. And now in the remote Northern Territory community of uh, Nunga in southeast Arnhem Land, community members are celebrating their first university graduate in decades. Melissa Andrews Waramaba has become the first full bachelor degree graduate in her community for nearly four decades. And this is thanks to what's now become known as the Bush Uni. Alan Lee has more. Melissa Andrews Wadamaba studied education at the Wagaba Study Hub near Nuka in southeast Arnhem Land, 12 hours drive east of Darwin. The study hub is known as the Bush Uni. It's linked with Macquarie University in Sydney, where Ms Andrews Wadamaba's graduation ceremony was held. As the first university graduate in her community for nearly 40 years, the Alawa woman is a trailblazer for her generation. My family, they can't believe it. Like, they, they think it's a, I don't know, are they watching a movie? Like, is she really graduating? <laughs> yeah, my mom can't talk. Like, she's, she kept asking me, like, are you really graduating? Okay. <laughs> the study hub has been running since 2018 and is based on a two-way learning model combining Western and Indigenous curriculums. Ms Andrews Wadamaba says it opens opportunities. The study hub is a really, really... Um, great way to you know to have that opportunity to come it's like to to come and study at Macquarie or any university so it's a it's a good pathway it's not been an easy journey it took her five years to finish her degree after having to cope with the onset of COVID-19 pandemic family losses and living away from home for months at a time she says her family was very supporting been talking on the phone my family's and them reminding me, like, you're doing this for us and don't worry about us, you worry about yourself, stay there, do that, then you can see us again. 
Her resilience has inspired others, like Jack Brown, a Yalama man from northwest Arnhem Land, to chase their dreams. Similar path. I want to graduate. That's my goal. And I'm looking forward to it. It's a, it's a challenging time, I guess. Another person she's inspired is a member of her own family, cousin Joe Daniels. Well, my main goal is to become an outspoken advocate for Indigenous queer in remote communities. Yeah, so I'm looking in for like an advocacy role with my studies, yeah. Around the woman, Shania Miller admits it's not easy. But with support, she says nothing is impossible. It's a tough road for uni- like university for anyone, but like we can do it with the right support, the right people. Ms Andrews Wadamaba's graduation has created a significant impact for herself and her community, but it also sets an example for future education in remote areas across Australia. The Bush Uni's co-founder is Birupi woman Auntie Sue Pinkham. The Close the Gap report has highlighted the Bush Uni three years in a row, so they know that we exist, they know that it's a good way to do business, they need to actually roll them out in more places. For now, Ms Andrews Wadamaba is enjoying the moment, but she sees a bright future ahead for education in her community. I feel like I, I, I'm the key to um, opening that door for young people, for the young people to to come to university and study and to become whatever they want to be in the future. Alan Lee, SBS News. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. SBS is updating its radio schedule. From October 5, there will be more times to listen. With repeated programming on Wednesday, Friday and Saturday at 6pm on SBS 1. To find out more, visit sbs.com.au slash audio. Welcome back. I'm Petran Tungandame and you're listening to NITV Radio coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Friday afternoon. Join NITV Radio on Facebook. Yota Yota Woman Annie Brickdale is one of the participating artists in Fired Up Stories Through Embers and Earth. This exhibition is the outcome of the Black Design Program by the Kuri Heritage Trust and comprises works that are extraordinarily individual though grounded in relationships with history, storytelling, land and sea by using clay. And I'm happy to say Annie Brickdale has accepted to join us on ITV Radio to explore her participation in Fired Up Stories Through Embers and Earth. Annie, thanks a lot for joining us and welcome to ITV Radio. Oh, thanks for having me. You come from a very creative family and I gather before you, your mom yes. also... Yes featured in uh, previous iterations of uh, black design programs by the Quarry Heritage Trust. Can you tell us about your artwork featured uh, in this uh, exhibition? So I became aware of black design because my mum actually participated in the program and I saw the positive impact that it had on her and the amazing work that the artist came up with and just the really great connection that she had with um, the other participants in the program and just looked at it as such a wonderful program. I've always been interested in ceramics, so when it came through that Black Design was doing ceramics, I was really excited and 
applied to do it. Uh, I kind of find sometimes being a regional artist, it can be a little bit isolating. So being able to work with other the mob in Melbourne, um, in amongst, you know, a vibrant city really enriched my artwork that I created through the program. Yeah. And uh, one thing that was also mentioned about is that uh, when uh, you attended uh, art classes at Bendigo TAFE, you said it was not about uh, the certificate, but most importantly, uh, the connection with community is most important for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I hadn't had a lot of experience with clay, just small amounts through uh, the cultural art class at TAFE. And yes, my attendance at the cultural art class is really about me connecting with, you know, community um, and making art especially. Um, I've always been a creative person and always been a maker but making in a class with other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists is a very special experience for me. I think, you know, with our family, reconnecting our story and learning, um, it's been a really long journey and I find that, you know, when I'm making in amongst the people that are part of my community, it's really special and it's really healing for me and I know it has been for my, my mother and my aunties and things as well so it's important Yeah, you just mentioned how uh, working closely and uh, alongside your mum and watching her work and uh, her participation uh, in Kuri Heritage Trust exhibition uh, has uh, inspired you and uh, it's also said that the works that uh, you've entered uh, in this uh, exhibition, Fired Up, Stories Through Embers and Earth, is uh, deeply connected to your family history and uh, family yeah. history affected yeah. by uh, stolen generations. Uh, tell us about uh, yeah, how this uh, artwork is uh, deeply connected to your very personal story of stolen generations. You know, as I learned about my great-grandma's story and other people's, many, many, many people's stories, you know, similar um, situations where um, my great-grandma grew up on Kamaragunja Mission and, um, you know, there was sort of um, notes and and hints towards her removal and um, I felt it was a really, you know, removal from her family and from her culture. I felt it was a really important story that um, needed to be told and I find that um, telling stories through art, you know, it's, it's such a wonderful way to connect with people and, yeah, I, I wanted to tell the story, you know, some of the story of um, my great-grandma, Dorothy Peters, her life, but also the women following, so my grandma and my mum and myself. Um, all creative women in in our own way Um, and you know the positions didn't you know arise for my grandma and there was probably some grieving for her that she couldn't be more creative because of her 
situation and, and history and had to live um, a very different life to myself. So I kind of, um, she, you know, passed many things on to me and I, I kind of wanted to talk about that story of this connection being passed through generations and the longing for us to find our way back to the story um, and and find our way looking into what happened to Dorothy and um, and tell her story. She wasn't in a position to be able to tell her story. So as her great-granddaughter, I, I feel very privileged to be able to tell her story. I think it's really important. So I'm, I'm trying to tell the story of her life a little bit through the artwork, but also the story of my grandma and her long for creative work, but her pride in her daughter and granddaughter. Um, and so I've used different methods with the ceramics to tell that story in a very kind of intense few weeks of learning. <laughs> So there were things that I had to test out for the first time and I, I'm pleased with the result and um, I'm wanting to do a lot more of it. Yeah. And it said also you worked uh, closely with a, a screen printer friend of yours to actually yeah. breeze, uh, bring tell these stories and uh, it's actually documenting a story. It's not just telling the story, it's documenting it, bringing aspects that were not known and uh, bringing them uh, out uh, in the spotlight. Yeah, so my screen printing friend, um, Libby Noblet, she's a lovely friend who has a, has a, been in screen printing for a very long time. And when I was thinking about what I was going to do for this exhibition, I actually came in thinking that I would do something quite different. But I knew that I had these letters and notes that I one day wanted to, to do an art piece with, but I just wasn't sure how to do it. And I was kind of talking to her one day and I'd seen a few um, artworks along the way where the artist had screen printed on clay and I was thinking, oh, wow, I'd love to try that. Didn't know anything about it, so it was really um, completely new to me. So I had to kind of do a lot of experimenting and she helped me get some notes onto a screen, which then I screen printed onto the clay and I also use decals as well so having the mentors like Janet Fieldhouse and David Ray there to help me kind of get the idea of, you know from just an, an idea into a finished piece you know Libby and and um, Janet and David helped me get there and it's come up really beautifully um, and I'm yeah very pleased with with the way it's, um, you can see the end result. Yeah. Earlier you mentioned uh, your inspiration from your family, but most importantly, connection to your people and other participants. And you say mm -hmm. that all the works made by the participants tell rich stories from uh, the heart. Can you comment on that statement for us? Yeah, I think, you know, all of the work that was, um, that, you see coming out of black design it's it's quite a unique experience to be able to, to go and do this work as an intensive few weeks you know spend a couple of weeks all together in melbourne and then you go away keep working and then come back it's almost like it 
it's this real like pressure cooker environment in that you 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 know you're working together, you're sharing, you're you kind of not vibing off each other, but getting you know getting getting strength from each other, and the results are really special. I wouldn't I don't think I I don't believe I would have been able to come up with something. Um, as special as what I have if I was trying to do it on my own in my studio. So, um, you know, especially for for our family who um, have been disconnected from Stolen Generation, we've had to reconnect and that takes time and can be really hard and, and really emotional and it's really lovely to spend time you know, with other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists and get to know them and for them to get to know me more than just a, a, a hello or, you know, just actually spend time together. And I think that environment is a really great way for building connection uh, with other people. And it's, I think it's really important. It's something that's very healing. Yeah. Before I let you go, anything we may have missed that's really crucial you must bring to the attention of our listeners? I think that the you know the Black Design Program is such a wonderful program for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists in part of the healing of and, and reconnecting of our stories. Um, and I think that is very much part of my work. Is you know that story of healing and reconnection, and you know, and and it's a it's a sad story, and there's a lot of sadness in it. But also there's there's the reconnection. So when we reconnected with our family, it was it was only ever you know big hugs from my uncles that I met and aunties, and it has only ever been a positive, beautiful reconnection. So yes, it's a, a really sad, very important story that needs to be told. But it's also about that really positive reconnection and you know telling a story through art. Annie Brickdell, thank you very much for taking the time to join us and talk to us on NITV Radio about uh, your participation in Fired Up Stories Through Embers and Earth, a Kuri Heritage Trust uh, exhibition uh, launching on the 25th of November this year. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, that's all we have for you on NITV Radio this uh, Friday afternoon. I am Bertrand Tungandame, thanking you for staying with me today and wishing you an excellent weekend. Till next time, bye for now.